0: Today's sermon passage is Matthew 17:22 through 27. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax, from their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. The word of the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. Before our sermon this morning, I have... Some sad news to share with us. Um, one of our dearest and oldest members, Miss Charles C Boyd, um, passed away on Thursday morning of this week. Miss um, Chay was part of the the dear Grace Christian Church crowd that gave us this facility, and most of them joined. With us. I was told after the first service that Miss Charlesy's worshiped in this sanctuary since 1991. Um, She was a dear woman. Um, She loved the Lord. She was faithful to Him. She lived a full life. And even though musically we always were not quite what she wanted. She wanted the kingdom to grow on this peninsula. And she chose that path over preference. And um, I don't know, man. These dear saints, they just encourage my soul. And um, so Ms. Charles has passed away um, and we grieve. I understand that our church has transitioned so much that most of you probably don't even know who I'm talking about. But just know this, a 90-year-old woman Who's been faithful through all kinds of hardship and up and down and glorified the Lord in and out is to be celebrated, um, and is something from. It's a person from whom we should learn much. Um, her funeral will be sometime this week. Those details are still being hashed out, but we wanted to honor Miss Charlsie today and pray for her family. So, if you would, let's let's pray. Our great God, we thank you that you are not only the author of all life, but you give everlasting life. Lord, today we thank you for Miss Charles C. Boyd and her um, faith in your son and her commitment to your word and your church and your kingdom and your ways. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to know her and to be blessed by her. Lord, today particularly, we pray for her son and daughter, for her grandchildren, for her friends, for those who are grieving her loss. We pray that you would give them great comfort that you would fill them with peace and that you, O Lord, would be present with them. Lord, I pray that you would stir all of us to walk in your ways and to love you greatly. Now, as we turn to your word, O God, we pray that you would speak to us and you would teach us. pray this in Jesus' name. Friends, it's great to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so, I would encourage you to take your Bible or one of the Bibles under the chair in front of you and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 17. Here at Redeemer, we're working our way through the book of Matthew. And so we're at this particular passage, uh, which Tim just read for us. And and like, let's just be honest. This passage is entertaining. It's, It's downright funny in many ways, right? I mean, God tries to corner Jesus, like, "Do you pay the tax?" And he's like, "Go grab a fish, open its mouth, and get your tax." I mean, like, like that's funny. Maybe if you're sarcastic like me, y'all I can hear all you guys chuckling under your breath. Um, yet, I don't think that Matthew was led by the Spirit to include this passage in the flow of Matthew just to give us a good. Chuckle. Good chuckles are okay, but there's much more going on here. What's going on here is this. Looking to Jesus, not just the Jesus made in our own joyful image, but the Jesus as he really is and was, the one who suffered and died and was buried and rose again, the one who did all to accomplish and fulfill the demands of the law. Looking to Jesus is the way forward for the people of God, even down to redefining our religious observance. So we've entitled this sermon today, Jesus Paid It All, Dad Joke Intended, Man, the first service got that. Y'all should be awake. It's 10.30, 11 o'clock. Anyway, um, Jesus paid it all. Um, And the point is, everything that God requires from us comes from Jesus. And the freedom that Jesus has given us moves us to worship and serve and give and care and not just to hoard up what we want. Now, that's a lot to prove from a story about a fish, so let's do this. First point, greatly distressed. We're gonna be looking here at verses 22 and 23. So we have this second foretelling on the, hand, on the part of Jesus where he says, hey, know this. I'm gonna be delivered in the hands of men, They're going to kill me. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried, and I will rise on the third day. Now, why is Jesus continually driving this home to his disciples? I think this is why. Because that's not what they expect. They think that's not what they want, right? Like the last time this happened— At the end of chapter 16, Peter actually rebuked Jesus like, come on, no, 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 you must be wrong. To which Peter got the very loving and uplifting, get behind me, Satan. So this time they're not going to argue with him. But Jesus is continually putting this point out there. He understands that they don't clearly understand what he's accomplishing he understands that they don't fully understand the magnitude of, I can do all these great things, including making money show up in a fish's mouth to silence a Pharisee in his face. And it's all nothing if I don't accomplish what is required on the cross and in the resurrection. So Jesus is perpetually moving his disciples to see like, oh, this is horrifying and painful and difficult and needed all at the same time. If we remove the cross of Jesus from the life of Jesus, then he hasn't accomplished anything for us. This time we're told, That the disciples, rather than allowing Peter to argue for them, were greatly distressed. They were greatly distressed. Meaning, the weight of it is becoming known. They still are wrestling with, but what does that mean? But the weight of it is becoming known. This isn't going to be the last of these predictions. But Jesus is, is continually pushing his disciples to see the end of the line here is arrest, suffering, death, burial, rising on the third day. He's continually showing them this is actually the rightful plan and next steps. So let's go. So if the disciples needed continual reminders, the simpleton in me just says we need continual as well at the core of our faith is the death burial and resurrection of Jesus at the core of any hope of any mercy of any forgiveness of any restoration of any fulfillment of God's word of any eternal life is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus period Actually, exclamation point. So let's always keep that out there. If you're here today because someone drug you here and you're kind of like, I don't know what it means to be a Christian. I certainly don't know why I'm in this particular room on this particular day. Like, hear this clearly. All the God talk, all the religious talk, it really boils down to this. The Son of God became a man and offered in his own life everything that God would require of you, that you might be called a son of God. Turn to him. Turn to him. Turn to him. So in that sense, we can apply our sermon title from the old gospel hymn. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. Jesus has done everything for us that God would require to be called children of God and walk in his blessing. Second point. We move from greatly distressed disciples to a question. Pay the offering, question mark. So we're told this is verses 24 through 27. We're told when they came to Capernaum that the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? So here's the question. Does Jesus pay the offering? That's the question. Now you're like, but pastor, it says tax. That's correct. It does say tax, but this was a religious tax more than a civil tax. Okay. And all of you guys can exhale a little bit because you're like, oh no, please don't tell me that A mere 14 days after tax day, my pastor's going to stand up and talk about civil government, because I'm still in mourning from April the 15th. It's actually the 17th this year, but don't worry, I'm not. We're not talking about that tax. That's another sermon for another day. This is a religious observance. It's a religious tax. The, The two drachma tax was expected at least annually from every faithful Jew to contribute to the care of the temple and in some places, important synagogues throughout all of Judaism. It was, a, it was an expected, required offering on behalf, on behalf of all Jews. It was a religious observance that the faithful did to show themselves Faithful. And that's your operative phrase. This was performed to show yourself faithful, okay? Now, notice what happens. Jesus said, or, or Peter said, yes, my teacher pays the tax. And then they came into the house, and Jesus spoke to Peter saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom did the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Linguistically, this could also read from their citizens or from others. It works either way. Peter said, from others. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free, period. Now, I could stop right here And we could preach a freedom in Christ sermon that would resound off the rafters. And it would be half true. Jesus is saying, Peter, you're a son of God because of me. And since you're a son, you are free from the expectation to prove your faithfulness through giving the offering. You're free of that. I mean, you see how this could, this could work a room up, right? We're free. We are free. I don't have to. That's correct, except you get to. We'll come to that in just a minute. But there is a theological reality unplaying in this story where Jesus is saying, you are free from the expectation of this particular religious observance because I've made you a son of God. Now, I would extrapolate that out and say this passage also, in light of all the teaching of Jesus, gives us the freedom to to rethink all religious observance for the purpose of showing ourselves faithful to God because Christ is the one who showed us faithful to God. See, that That resounds. But Jesus keeps going. And this is where it gets a little bit gray and a little less comfortable. However, not to give offense to them. What? You just told me they're going to kill you. <laughs> Correct. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. By the way, a shekel is for drachma. Okay, let's do math. Jesus owes two, Peter owes two, you're finding four, okay? You don't need a PhD to do the math here, right? We're all together. You'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, there's two really important things that go on here, right? Like, number one, Jesus is showing through the shekel. I'm satisfying all your religious observance for you. Jesus paid it all. Peter's observance, Jesus' observance, you got it from a fish. But there's this other thing going on here where Jesus is introducing a category of thought that we have to call wisdom. And this is the category of thought. What must I do? Like, am I required to do this? And then Jesus says, but I'm telling you that there's good reason to do it anyway. Oh, you see where that gets uncomfortable? You remember when you had a curfew? Remember that? The young kids are like, mom, what's a curfew? And then you turned 18 and you subtly said things to your parents like, I don't don't have to keep that anymore. But then you got a real job and you're like, I ought to keep that. (laughs) Because 6 a.m. is coming. No matter what time I went to bed last night. Jesus ultimately says to Peter, you don't have to pay the the offering. But for the ministry that I'm carrying out, for the work that God has called me to do, for the, the mission that we're on, it's best that you go pay the offering and not stir the hornet's nest. So Jesus, I I don't think I'm wrong to extrapolate this. Jesus is introducing a category of thought of, there's what must I do. And when the Lord said you must, you must. But then there's, but what is best, not for me or my bottom line or how I want to spend my Saturday or my Sunday or my day off, but what's best for Christ What's best for his kingdom? What's best for the work of the church? What's best for the ministry that Christ has put before us? Jesus says, Peter, go pay the tax. This isn't a time to stir the hornet's nest. And then... When Jesus says, Peter, it's best for you to pay the tax, he still provides what's necessary to pay the tax. This is the beautiful reality of it all. Christ is never going to call us to do something that we have to do in and of our own creative, generative power. He only calls us to steward all the things that he's given to us. Are you alive? Christ made you alive. Do you have talents? Christ gave them to you. Do you have possessions? Christ gave them to you. Do you have money? Christ gave it to you. And ultimately, the fish is proving the point. Peter, go get it, put it in the thing. But how, if this were an American parable, how would this play out? I was fishing and I caught a fish. And it had four drachma in it. And I thought to myself, self, what a kind God wink today. He gave me, by the way, I don't talk that way to myself. I'm just playing along. (laughs) Um, He gave me four drachma. I wonder what I could do with four drachma today. Look at I'm not saying you can't enjoy life. I'm simply saying if the Lord gave you for a drachma, I think the first question is, what would best serve the Lord who gave me the drachma? So there's a a category of thinking being introduced in this story that Christ did come to fulfill most religious observance to prove faithfulness on behalf of his people. And, and he, let me rephrase that. Christ came to fulfill all religious observance to prove faithfulness for his people. Some of those things he still commands us to do. Because he commands it, we do it. We don't need to think about it. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that, not liberals. Jesus said that, not the Pharisees. So we take Jesus at his word and we do it, right? Okay. But there's a whole host of other things that we're then left to ask the question, if Christ has freed me from having to perform to prove myself faithful, I don't have to, but the Lord still might say, it's wise and best and good and right to continue down this pathway To glorify my name and serve my mission and serve my church and serve my kingdom. In many ways, the book of Acts is the early church unfolding this question, right? Like, we don't have to do this anymore, but what about this? So in this instance, does Jesus pay the offering? Yes. Not because he had to, but because it was wisest in the moment. And so I'm simply saying to us all today most of our Christian living moves beyond requirement and moves into this question of how do I faithfully steward what God has given to me in all the realms. Now I could stop my sermon right there, and some of you would would say, "But, but, Pastor, you have neglected an opportunity to answer this question for us. Do we have to pay the offering?" So we're going to jump into that pool together this morning. Let's have a little fun. Number one, I'm addressing this because. It's the passage that we're in. Number two, from my perception, I'm blessed to pastor a church who is filled with people who are faithful, joyful givers to the work of Redeemer, and for that, I am vastly grateful. Number three, my goal in this is not to rebuke you unless the Lord rebukes you, but my goal is to free you to joyfully serve the Lord. Okay. Now, here we go. Most Christians in the South give because the Bible says give 10%. Except Jesus never said give 10%. That's that's from the Mosaic law. Now, I want to just throw out for fun and maybe uh, kicks and giggles I had a a friend in seminary who loved spreadsheets and he worked for a um, personal injury law firm. And um, he told me that he went through the entire Old Testament page by page and made a spreadsheet and calculated all the offerings in the Old Testament. And that if you add them up, it actually comes to somewhere between 18 to 20%. So for whatever that's worth, if you wanna be a dyed in the wool legalist, 10 is (laughs) half-faithful. And in the New Testament, half-faithful is unfaithful. (laughs) I did have somebody after the first service go, thanks, my wife's gonna corner me at lunch. I was like, that's between the two of y'all. Now, so Jesus never, that, that I'm aware of, he never applies a, Percentage to giving. But he also never frees the Christian from a calling to give to the work of the Lord. Okay? So the calling to give to the work of the Lord, to give to the church that ministers to you, there's never a freeing of that. There's actually a prov- provide for those leaders, don't muzzle an ox. There's a whole host of calling to give to the work of the Lord. But Jesus never requires a said percentage. So I'm just going to free you up to say this. As the Lord provides, use it for his kingdom. Ask the kingdom questions. Ask the what's best for Christ questions. Ask what's best for the ministry of the church questions. What you're never going to get from me is a questionnaire that asks you to boil things down to numbers. What you're going to get from me and Lord willing our congregation is a calling to be a cheerful giver who furthers the work of the kingdom through what the Lord provides. And if that runs you all the way up to 80 percent, Praise the Lord. And we have the story of the widow's mite where she threw in virtual food stamps. And Jesus said she gave more than everybody else here today. This isn't an offering sermon. It's not ending up in a crescendo of, here's the goal. Let's meet the goal. It's ending in, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about a religious Offering. And to take this passage seriously, I think we have to ask ourselves questions about religious offering. Be cheerful givers. Not to show yourself faithful to the Lord. Only Jesus can do that. But be cheerful givers because everything we have is from the Lord. Everything. So, the story, Jesus, should we pay the offering? You don't have to, but you should, in this particular instance. And by the way, your ability to pay the offering comes from me. See the hand of my provision, even I I brought the plane down to the ground of, of offering. I want to get it back up in the air to all religious observance. Jesus came to free us from having to perform to show ourselves faithful to the Lord. He came to do all the performing for us, to pay all the righteousness for us so that we might be called the children of God. And as the children of God, we get to live freely serving him with joy. So go catch your fish. Open its mouth. See the provision of God and steward it for his glory before you use it for your leisure or mine. Our Father and our God, Would you please take these words and as much as they're true and as much as they're right, as much as they're accurate, would you cause us to believe them? Would you change us by them? Would you make us faithful to yourself? Lord, would you make us a church of people who are enamored with Jesus and everything that he's done for us? So much so that we. Pursue his kingdom with all of who we are. Lord, now we love you. We praise you. We ask that you continue to work. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.